Books can take us around the world. They can take us to the intimate spaces of human experiences, and they can help us grow through their words. Stay tuned for People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. Good morning, and um, yes, I'm here with you once again from the comfort of my home, and I have got with me, well, not with me, but from the comfort of his home, I have my guest, Craig Higginson, who is with me this morning to chat about his new book, which is The Book of Gifts. Hi, Craig. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Janice. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? All good. No, very good. Thank you. Nice to be here. And I think that um, everyone is, at the moment, um, locked up and locked down, and I think um, the weather's playing game, playing ball here with the yeah. perfect weather to be locked down in. I think we're all much happier for it. Um, yeah. And your your book, your new book that's come out, and I think already it's proving to be extremely successful, the book of gifts. And I think we're all appreciating the gifts that we have at the moment. So I think it's quite apt. <laughs> yes. I don't know whether you've got a crystal ball hiding away somewhere. Um, that that you <laughs> brought out a, a book like this, but um, it's a, a beautiful book and it's a re- very relevant book. I know I, I particularly read it actually in a day. It's one of those books. Once you pick it up, you can't put it down. And it's about a young boy. For those who I'm going to just take the readers through it, the listeners through it quite quickly. Um, it's about a young boy by the name of Julian, and um, he's he's living with his mother Emma, and single mom, and family dynamics. And Craig, take us through it from here. And it's a bit of a murder mystery. It's a got a bit of a psychological element to it. Take us through a basic background to the book. Um, so, I mean, firstly, the, what we're talking about the title, the book of gifts. Um, you know, I was I was talking to someone who's an expert in Freudian psychoanalysis some years ago, and she was telling me about this concept called the unholy exchange, which comes originally from Dor- uh, Freud's Dora case, where um, there's this idea that 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 that, the, that someone gave something forbidden over in order to get some other forbidden things. So it's a sort of an exchange of one thing for another thing, and um, I thought that was a really interesting idea, this idea of this unholy exchange and the sort of giving something in compensation for something else. Yeah, I'm going to stop you right there. I know we've yeah. only just started, but apparently we are going straight into an... This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I'm back with my guest, Craig Higginson, who was chatting about his new book, the Book of Gifts, and he was telling us all about the concept behind the book and the concept of the theme behind the book. Sorry, Craig, about that very um, quick ad break pretty much as soon as we started. No, don't worry. So continue with um, telling us about about the concept behind behind this yeah. book. Yeah. So, I mean, we were just talking about the title, The Book of Gifts, so, you know, this thing of, of, of the unholy exchange. And, you know, on the back of the book it says, you know, what is the cost of giving a gift and what is the cost of receiving a gift? You know, that 
that you know we we have this sort of thing that gifts are are, are good things, but they also can be used um, out of guilt or com- or for compensation or to gain some other thing. So right. you know we were talking initially about the sort of the positive side of gifts, and and I think there are some positive gifts in the book as well. They aren't all suspicious and all <laughs> dubious, but um, it's this sort of it's this sort of concept in the in, in the heart of the novel is is people giving things in exchange for other things. Um, and that psychology I just thought was really interesting, particularly in the context of a family um, and and sibling relationships and parent relationships and, you know, all of those sorts of things. Um, yeah, so 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 you were also asking about the the characters. So there's Julian, who's 11 years old at the beginning, and then he, later we pick up where he's a bit older. Um, and it's really about what the novel calls the architecture of adults around him, his mom, his aunt and his uncle and and this sort of triangle of, of adults and and what's sort of going on between those three and how that ripples down into into this young boy's life. Yes, and and at the beginning of the book we start off when um Julian's on holiday in Umshanga with with his yep. family, with his mother and his aunt and uncle. And his aunt has always been quite a dominating influence in his life. His mother is, although not absent, she seems quite distant. She's quite a distant presence. Um, if, if one yeah. can be a distant yeah. presence, I know that's quite a, a, a strange <laughs> parallel, but um, she is, yeah. I, I would call yeah. her quite a distant presence. And his aunt is the, the, the dominant female presence in his life. But since the, the split between his parents, for some reason that, that even Julian himself doesn't quite understand, um, there's, there's some animosity coming from him towards his uncle. Mm. And even he doesn't quite understand it. There's this dynamic between himself mm. and his uncle, and he's not even sure what that is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's all these sort of compensations, you know, it's part of the gift giving and gift receiving. Is, is sort of compensations and, and roles that people are asked to play, um, you know, and, and that sort of thing. Um, you know, Julian's mother is an artist. She's a very successful sculptor. So she, you know, when she's involved in preparing for a new exhibition, she's quite absent. And then when, you know, when the exhibition sort of opened, then she sort of comes back to Julian and, and slightly overcompensates for her absence. Do you know what I right. mean? And there's this pattern that I think a lot of us as parents can recognize where, you know, we're all very busy and we're all working. So there's a sort of mixture of, of kind of slight neglect and then overcompensation out of guilt. And, you know, to try and find the middle space of being, of being present and, and supportive and, and all those things that parents are supposed to be without, and finding that middle balance is, you know, it's, it's difficult, I think, for, for all parents, not just the children of, of creative people. Um, so there's that sort of dynamic going on. Um, but yeah, I mean, without giving too much away, I think that, you know, I mean, I mean, there's lots of Freudian things rippling through this novel. So the one is, is the death drive and the conflict between Eros and Thanatos, sort of the, the erotic life drive and the, and the kind of death drive. And in a way, the aunt Jennifer is a kind of embodiment of this death drive. Um, um, and, and then another thread that runs through the, the novel is this kind of Oedipal thing. So, um, you know, in the absence of the father, the mother-son relationship is quite intense, and then the uncle is brought in as a kind of substitute father figure, and yes. Julian obviously feels threatened by that. Do you know what I mean? So those yes. sort of dynamics 
are playing out. Um, I mean, the novel is full of triangles, which is quite an Oedipal arrangement, I'm told, by psychotherapists. You know, that, that, that the, the imagined third, you know, that the, the, there's a relationship, there's a fundamental relationship, and then there's this imagined third who can, who can come in and, and be, be a sort of threat. Um, do you know what I mean? So, so. Yeah, it's quite an interesting concept. Is the one between, is between the mother, the uncle, and the, and the son. And the, and the, you know, the, the uncle's scene is this usurping figure. And of course, Julian is a very perceptive, sensitive little kid. So he, he understands that there's a connection between his mother and his uncle that isn't altogether, um, straight and, and correct. You know, that there's, that they've got this, special way of speaking to each other that he's yes. suspicious of. And I found quite interesting, I mean, also not to, to give too much away, I don't want to give away any spoilers here. Talk to me about, there's, there's a, you mentioned a lot about the this garden door that changes colour. Well, it doesn't change colour, it's not a magical door. Um, <laughs> I don't want anyone to think that that's what happens to it. But she paints it a different colour it's kind of like when when women go through a, a lot of changes, they tend to change the color of their hair, and they so so with with Emma with his mother, she changes the color of the garden door. That to her is symbolic of something, right? Yeah. Once a year, she paints the door that leads from the garden into the streets a different color, and then that color comes to sort of define that year for her in a way. So, okay, we're going yeah. to go to another ad break, and then after that ad break, we've got quite a, a long, um, a long block in which we we're going to to chat oh, about yeah. that and and your other books as well. This is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz. Hi, I'm back, and I'm chatting to Craig Higginson. We are talking about his new book, The Book of Gifts, and we were talking about the concept of change and symbolism and what symbolizes change to you and specifically about um, a door that symbolizes change to one of the characters in this book. Craig, we were talking about this this garden door where Emma, who is Mm -hmm. the mother of Julian in this book, paints this door. And as you were saying, it symbolizes a specific year, every year in her life when she changes the color of the store. Um, tell me about mm. this. We were discussing it before the break. I mean, I think in, in literature, you know, and I mean, I, I've worked in the theatre, and, and the theatre is a bit like this as well. That, you know, in literature, what you're doing is you are clearing away everything until the things that remain, the objects that remain, have a kind of a layeredness um, and acquire a kind of symbolic resonance in a way. Um, and and so the novel is full of of objects that are that are kind of totemic or symbolic in some sort of way, um, and the way that the novel is structured is the chapter of each, the, the heading of each chapter is a gift that someone's given someone or been given by someone within the novel. Do you know what I mean? And that becomes a kind of right. extended for 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 that section. Um, you know, and the, and the door, the garden door, is obviously, I um, mean, it's the red door. It's 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 a red door in the year that. Uh, that the, the, the main action takes place in the novel. And I mean, there's obviously symbolism around colors and so on, but that door is, is the, it, it, it's the place through which the public realm can enter into the private realm. Do you know what I mean? That the, yes. that the world 
outside can enter the domestic space. Um, and Emma's one of these people who never closes windows and never closes doors, never locks anything. She's, there's this sort of level of, of neglect on, on some sort of level in a way, you know, and then she's not, you know, in a dangerous city like Johannesburg, she's not securing her She's home. quite bohemian. I mean, she, she is, and she's, she's a creative and she's an artist, so she is quite bohemian yeah. and, in her thinking yeah, and her way. She, she's a free spirit, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, so, and it's all quite aesthetic, the door, you know, it's, it's a lime green and then it's a lilac and, you know, they're all quite beautiful colors. Um, and interestingly, towards the end, she lets Julian choose a color. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I was and, going, and I was going to mention that, that she includes him in that decision. Yeah, and it's and not quite groundbreaking. She hands that over. The, 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 she gets, lets him, yeah, I mean, I think she's, she's overly intense with Julian and, and, and one of the things she has to learn, um, during the course of the novel is to, is to let him go. You know, you know, we live in a very dangerous, um, country and during dangerous times and with this whole corona thing, you know, it's even the sort of sense that there's always this external threat that we have to protect our, our home from and that we've got to secure our boundaries and, and so on and so forth. And so, you know, as a parent, what we want to do is we want to kind of provide this protective framework around our children. But when does that become a cage? Do you know what I mean? I mean, when right. does that Absolutely. become something that entraps them rather than protects them? And that sort of contradiction is 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 an interesting one to think about at times like now. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, I think that during the course of the novel, Emma comes to realize that that actually he's fine. Do you know what I mean? The children are quite robust and, yes, and, and, and should be able to give yeah. them a space. You know, they should be given this to make their own decisions and, and determine who they want to be. And we're here to facilitate that process but not try and control it or dictate what it might be or, or whatever. All right. And, and they did actually, um, between um, Emma and, and her sister and, and her sister's husband, they did – um, they did hide quite a, a a huge piece of information from Julian, which which he discovers later on in the book. Which I mean, it's, it's information that changes his whole perspective um, on life. Basically, it's it's information about somebody who changed the entire project trajectory of his life. So, yeah. um, as you yeah. say, when you, yeah. you you do your best to protect your children, but are you actually Protecting them, yeah. or yeah. or are you going to to do harm by using information or yeah. not sharing yeah. information? You actually don't know. You're not actually ever sure. Yeah. I mean, I remember. I remember when we did philosophy at university, we were doing Aristotle, and the lecturer was talking about how the ethical space is the middle space. So, so. Courage, for example, is the middle space between foolhardiness and cowardice. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yes. There's a sort of sense that the middle, the, the middle, the ethical place between two extremes which become unethical. And I said to him at the time, I said, you know, what about the truth? Is, is there a middle space between falsehood and truth that's the ethical space? And he, it was interesting because he kind of said, well, you know, is, is it always ethical to tell the truth? You know, I mean, what, what is, what is the moral, you know, the, the moral dilemma around that? You know, it, it's quite, comp it can be quite complicated. 
you know, and this piece of information that they withhold from Julian, you know, they're trying to protect him from the truth. Um, but that can also, if you don't give someone the benefit of hearing the truth, that can have other consequences. Yes. You know? I mean, it's basically, the, the novel is basically saying it's impossible to be a parent. You know, <laughs> whatever you do, whatever you do, you know, it's complicated and, and you never know, you know, if you're doing the right thing or the wrong thing. No, absolutely. Um, yeah. You never know if your, if your choices are, are right, whether you're, you're having a positive effect or negative effect. You never know what the advantages are, the disadvantages. Yeah. You just never know, basically. And, yeah. and, but you and, do your best. And, yes. I mean, we all do our best with the tools that we're given, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there, are, there is a way of giving and receiving gifts that, that is disinterested. Do you know what I mean? That it doesn't always have to be out of one's own interest in order to gain something that one gives. That, you know, that the, uh, uh, you know, and, and there, there are many different kinds of gifts that we give each other without sort of realizing that we're giving them to each other and, and we take them for granted. I mean, Andrew, who's the uncle, is a psychotherapist and he has a quite an unwell, um, patient called Marion, um, who's got a complicated relationship with her mother, and he basically, you know, tells her all the different things that this this rather absent and neglectful mother has given Marion over the years, whether it's, you know, a new pair of shoes every time she needed a pair of shoes or three meals a day, which, you know, amounts to thousands and thousands of meals. And, you know, and we fixate often on the things that we haven't been given, the things that have been withheld yes. from us. And we don't really appreciate the thousands of things that we are given every day by all sorts of people on many different levels. So I think the novel is also trying to kind of wake us up to that a little bit, you know, that, that we must also see what's around us and the abundance of what's around us and, and, and appreciate that instead of always looking for the lack and looking for the grievance and looking for the, the, thing, the, the wrong. You know? I mean, I know, I know in particular from, from working a lot with authors, that um they can they can receive numerous accolades and numerous five star reviews but they will be fixated on that one one star review. That's the yes. one thing that they will that 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 will devastate them. And not yeah. you know, regardless of all those amazing reviews and, and all the rave reviews they've received, they will be devastated yeah. by that one review and that troll who is who is saying shocking things about them and did not finish the book and you know this is a horrible character and and this this author will just be devastated by that but never mind that everybody else has loved the book and yeah. they they yeah. they've hit the the top 5 in in all the bestseller lists but this one yeah. person is yeah. is trashing the book and that's what they'll fixate on and yeah on and that I, subject I Yes. Yeah, carry on. Sorry, carry on. So just even in the context of the family, I think we often have people in the family who are always the ones that are, you know what I mean, being hurt or, you know, Jennifer in the novel is that character who's always, yes. you know, suspecting everyone of having horrible motives and always interpreting everything in the worst possible way. Do you know what I mean? Yes, and everyone's so, so out that, together. With authors, I think we all can recognize that within our own families to a greater or lesser degree. Um, you know, how we are with siblings or how they are with us or whatever it might be. I don't have siblings, sorry. <laughs> me, myself and I. Me, myself and I. It's just me. So on the subject of, of reviews and um, 
and and things like that. You mentioned an interesting thing, I think, in a – I don't know whether I heard you say it in an interview or it must have been something that I, I heard you say in an interview. Your previous book, The Dream House, mm. it is a set work. It's on – I think it's uh, – I know that it's – it's my daughter's set work, incidentally. Um, and you did mention that a lot of um, high school learners are now giving it one-star reviews on Goodreads because, purely because it is their school set work and it's pulling your uh, <laughs> it's pulling your your numbers down because purely from the perspective of and, and we do, and I talk about this often. That, that high school learners, purely by its very nature, we, we tend to dislike books that we are told that we have to read. And, and purely yeah. by yeah. their very nature, when you are instructed to read something, you aren't going to like yeah. it. Yeah. And, yeah. and I mean, the dream house has, has, it's received numerous awards and, and it's, 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 Received accolades and it's a highly recommended book. And yet here you have all these, these high school learners trashing the book purely yeah. because it's a set work. <laughs> Tell me about yeah, no, that. I did see on Twitter one student wrote something like, I hate Craig Higginson with all my heart for writing the dream house. <laughs> Some 17 year old. I hate Craig Higginson with, with my, all my heart. For writing the dream house. So I, th- I thought, well, at least I've, I've elicited a passionate response. It might not be the one that you're after. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, the thing about a bad review is that, is that you, you know, you think that the whole world has read it. You know, so I mean, the dream house had this dreadful review in, um, the Mail and Guardian before it was even in the bookshops. And it was, um, somebody who just completely trashed the book and said it was hopeless. And, you know, you sort of walk around feeling like you've been, you know, tarred and feathered and everyone's sort of looking at you funny. And, of course, no one really has read the, the review. And even if they have, they don't really care. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, and and I'm not even sure that book reviews in this country really make much difference. I think that word of mouth is probably the thing that, that sells books. You know, people talking to people, maybe on yes. social media. But, but I think those official, um, you know, the newspaper, you know, that your review comes out in the Sunday Times and everyone reads it and goes and buys your book. I don't think it works that way anymore in our country. No, um, that, yeah, I agree. And one would hope that discerning readers would go and buy the book yeah. and make their own decision. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it does, you know, like that Goodreads thing, you know, you know, when, when you've been considered by a publisher in the, in the United States, for example, they'll go online and they'll look at Goodreads and they'll look at the you know, they'll look at the reader responses and what rating you've been given and so on. And and it, it does affect their decisions. So, you know, while, while on one level you can have a novel that's won an award and it's, it's you know, the, the dream house is the IB matric set work. So yes. about a thousand kids are, are studying it every year for three years. I mean, you know, that's that's amazing for a South African writer to be selling that number of books. Um but, you know, these things do have consequences in other areas. So, so writers, unfortunately, and also we're, we're sensitive types, you know. That's why we're writers in the first place. You know, we, we, we have a, we have a problem with reality. So we spend most of our lives creating alternative realities, you know, so. He's making so we, things up. Right. So bad reviews is too much sort of reality, you know, often. So, yeah. 
Um, yes, I've seen, I work in theatre, so I'm always very yes. open to, to process and to, you know, when you're growing a play, you know, you do readings and you get feedback. And I'm always incredibly open to anything anyone has to say during the development process. But once it's published and it's done, you know, you just really want people to love it or, or to just keep their opinion to themselves. But um, you do want to, yeah. to elicit some type of reaction because that, that is yeah. what creators want to do. You've put it out there and you want to provoke a reaction in people. You want to know what they think of your work. And um, yeah. you, you put something on a page, basically your heart and soul, and, and um, yeah. you want to know what, what other people – you want their opinions. And, you know, basically people are writing things that are provocative, and, and you want to know what other people think of that. Mm. And sometimes there are people you want to offend. You know, that, yes. that sometimes we do write because we want to make a change in the world. So we do want to disrupt someone's complacency or we do want to um, draw attention to some sort of abuse of power or, you know what I mean? Of, often literary fiction in particular is, is really trying to work away at, at things. I mean, it, it does have a sort of sense that it's socially engaged and then it's trying to leave the world a slightly more enriched place. Do you know what I mean? That, that you're not yes. repeating. And, uh, and, and affirming. Back- Getting back to the book of gifts, I think that's what that is doing. It's not just, oh, this is a nice story about a family and this is what happens to, you know, that's the mom and that's the aunt and the uncle and that's the boy. And it's not just the simple story. It's got so many layers to it. Yeah. 